uh, in the book of Mark, and let's ask, ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, we do declare as we have sung that you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There is no one like you. And, and, and with that in mind, we, we know, God, we're not just weak, vile, and poor, God. We, we are destitute without you. Compared to your holiness, where do we stand? We're like Isaiah, Father. We, uh, we are a people of unclean lips, and we, we need your holiness in order for us to be accepted by you. So we come, based on the merits of Jesus Christ, we come just, just saying those words, your mercy is more. Our sins are many, they're vast as the sea, and if you would count them against us, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness of sins. Your mercy is more, it's, it's vast, it's wider. You said that you give grace upon grace. We can out, not out your mercy, and we praise you for that. It's the whole reason we're here, God. We want to worship you for your mercy and love to us in Jesus Christ. God, and we, we, want, to, we want your word to be opened to us. We know that apart from you, our eyes are blind, and we, we cannot see unless you open them. Unless you give us eyes to see, unless you take the cloud off our darkened minds, we will not understand. If, unless you replace our hearts, the, our stony hearts with hearts of flesh, we will not believe you. And so we come to you asking, depending on you to meet us in your word. God, we, we want to be a church that is a discipling church, that is focused and intent on our own disciples, our own following of Jesus, and intent on helping other people follow Jesus. We, we want that be, because we believe that's most important to you right now. We, we believe you are glorified most when we are, when we are f- helping people follow you and follow you ourselves because that's when we truly live the life you created us to live. Father, we, we ask you to open the text about Jesus Christ and blind Bartimaeus to us. Would you help us to find ourselves in this text Help us to cast our eyes on Jesus Christ this morning. And we don't just pray that for ourselves. We, we thank you for other gospel preaching churches, not just in our city, but in Oregon. We thank you for Henson Baptist Church. And we pray that you would open the minds and hearts of the people at Henson and reveal to them the love of Christ to them. We pray that that love would be embodied among them and it would bubble up in a way that it would go out and, and, and Southeast Portland and Portland and, and Oregon would feel the effects of disciples of Jesus who love one another. We pray for Michael Lawrence as he, as he preaches. We pray that you would give him much grace and wisdom as he applies the gospel to this church. God, we pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit. Father, we, we also pray for Gresham Bible Church and our dear brother Josh Howeth, who pastored among us and now is pastoring there. We ask that you would give them great grace as, you, that, as they meet together to behold your glory in their word. Would you unite that church? Would you help them as they, as they struggle with difficulties in, in Gresham? I just pray that you would give them wisdom and patience and, and, and hope in the gospel. And that, too, might affect the, the neighbors and co-workers and, and friends among them, that they might see conversions and a renewal of your spirit upon them. God, we, we pray for our own city that you would continue to, to use the churches here. We, we pray for Grace City, that you would be among them as they uh, open your word and read it and preach it and hear it and it would have effect on their lives. God, we, we pray that you would do that for Northwest Hills and Josh Carstensen. We ask that from there on, on Walnut that you would use that church to, to be a, a light on a hill in a, in a very dark place. We ask that you would use the preaching of the gospel to encourage them. Would you, would you give them success in becoming more like your son, Jesus? And God, we ask that you would do that all over the world. 
We, we pray that you'd be raising up workers in the field that would give their lives away for the spread of the gospel. God, do that among us. God, send people out. God, back to their homes or, or, or out to foreign lands that your gospel may be proclaimed to people who haven't heard, to people on the coastlands, to people inland. We pray that you would take people to the continents of Africa and Asia. God, and, and, and may your spirit be at work. God, we, we do want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now please, Father, by your spirit, meet with us this morning. Give us great grace as we behold the Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. So we are continuing in the book of Mark. You can turn to chapter 10 if you're not already there. I have a question for you. Have you ever had to think up a mission statement? Maybe it was in a college class. Any, any business majors in here? You ever had to think of a mission statement for a... Nobody, they're only engineers. Engineers don't have to do mission statements. Oh, you have. Okay, yes, good. Yeah, uh, or maybe for a company that you were, you were maybe starting or uh, a startup company, uh, you've had to think of a mission statement. There, it's not easy, I don't think, necessarily. I was looking online and uh, for some of the best mission statements. I'm going to give you the mission statement, and I want you to think, uh, you can even say it out if you think you know whose mission statement this is. Okay, are you ready? To give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Anyone guess? Close. What was it? Nope. It was Twitter, of course. This is how this is was just tweeting. This is what we do without barriers. Well, we'll try this one. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. What's that? Okay, you're on the right track. It's Coca-Cola. That seems like a pretty optimistic mission statement. How about this one? We inspire, educate, and outfit for a lifetime of adventure and stewardship. If you two don't get this, I'm gonna be upset. <laughs> REI, yeah, that's right, REI. So here are, here are some not so good mission statements. Walmart helps people around the world save money and live better anytime and anywhere, in retail stores, online, and through mobile devices. Yeah, it's a little confusing. Are you, do you want people to live in Walmart stores or in their mobile devices? One more, last one, Zappos.com. Our purpose is simple, to live and deliver wow. Have you ever lived wow? Have you ever had it delivered to you? If not, call zappos.com or type it in. The Christian church doesn't have mission statements like these companies, but it does have a mission. The, the mission is found in the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, given by its founder and maker, Jesus Christ. It, it goes like this. Basically, it's telling us, make disciples, okay? And it says, go, so going, as you go, make disciples, understood by telling the gospel to every nation, all peoples, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. You know, the branches tried to reflect this mission statement in a, mission, in a statement of our own. Uh, our, our mission statement, yep, there it is. We exist. I, I would put in there to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Okay? We exist to make disciples of all nations who are in awe of the gospel. We're in awe of the gospel. We embody the gospel, and then we give our lives away for the gospel. 
So we're, we're going up. We're in awe. We're up. And then we take it in, right? We, we, we sing about his mercy is more because we've actually experienced it. We go up, we go in, and then we go out. This is the language, you know, I'm not a church planter. There's a reason I'm not a church planter. But this is the, the language Stephen Brucker and Josh Howith uh, and, and uh, others began this church with. And it's good language. And I, I really believe in this mission. And I'm devoting my life to continuing it. You know, one of the reasons I, I, I began my ministry here a little over a year ago with preaching the book of Mark is because I do believe in this mission. The gospel... I, I want to see the gospel continue. Uh, I, our church wants to see the gospel continue. And so we start with the gospel of Mark because I think Mark helps us clarify the gospel and clarify discipleship. It reminds us what the message is and what a Christian looks like. I'm just now going to start my timer. Sorry. So all this talk about mission statements and being on mission and missional is actually, it's all just empty talk if we don't live it out, right? It's just, it's just platitudes. You can say, we inspire, educate, and outfit for a lifetime of adventure and stewardship, but if you hire employees who are gamers, no offense, who sit on their couches playing games and consume more pizza and beer than trail mix or if they sit and veg more than they rock climb or hike, then you got a problem fulfilling your mission, right? Ga Listen, gamers, I love you. We need gamers in this world for some reason. So, so why, why do we have a problem? Would we have a problem fulfilling the mission? Because REI needs people who know where and use their gear outdoors, right, in order to fulfill their mission. They need disciples. They need disciples. And no offense to REI, but the stakes for the Christian mission are much higher, right? The stakes for the Christian mission are infinitely higher and more valuable. So in the text before us this morning, we have a model of discipleship. A model of discipleship. We have a blind man who is the model disciple, and King Jesus, who is the model disciple maker or discipler. It's not actually a word, but it's a word today. So, turn to Mark 10. We read a short, short section of scripture from 46 to 52. Hear the word of the Lord. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, that's Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus, a, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard, that is Bartimaeus, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, shut up. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Thanks be to God. So if you're a note taker, you might want to maybe take them in two columns as we go back and forth between the model disciple and the model discipler. So just to set the scene for you, as Mark already has really, that we're in Jericho, just a day or two journey from Jerusalem now. And the Savior has set his face towards that city, Jerusalem. And what will meet him there in just a week? Betrayal, suffering, death on a cross. 
And on his way, Jesus is walking on the road, you know, from Jericho, and, and this blind man this named Bartimaeus is sitting on the roadside begging. Mark tells us for some reason that he is Timaeus' son. We don't know all the reasons if this is significant or not, but Mark rarely uses the name of supplicants. And, and all those he does name seem to express genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So here he is, blind Bart displaying simple yet great faith in Jesus of Nazareth. And Mark is showing us how a model disciple responds to Jesus. Okay, so here, what does a model, model disciple do when he comes in contact with Jesus? I'm gonna give you six points. First, he recognizes his need. A model disciple recognizes his need, so recognize your need. You can see it in verse 46. He's a blind beggar. He's a blind beggar. His need was obvious, right? He's blind, he's begging, he, he can't provide for himself, and he has some sort of eye disease that keeps him from doing all the things that he should do, he should be able to do for work. He was an illustration, actually. Mark, you know, he, he was a real life dude, but Mark's using him as an illustration of the disciples, of the religious crowd, and, and, and of the great crowd. He's actually an illustration of the rich man. All, all of them, blind, groping about in the darkness without knowing it. And honestly, he's an illustration of us all. The book of Ephesians tells us that apart from Christ, we are lost and without hope in this world. Romans tells us that, but it's both pagan both non-religious and religious people alike deserve God's wrath for this blindness. And that this wrath is being revealed against us because we suppress, that is, push down the truth that we know, we push it down in unrighteousness. And most of us are blind to our true need, right? Unlike Bartimaeus, who had his need right before him, we, most of us, are blind to it. We, we do this. I do this. Do you? We rename our need as something else. Or we reframe the problem. I don't have a problem with God's wrath because I don't think he exists. I don't have an addiction. I am living out my true self. It's, this isn't sin. Sometimes, yes, I make mistakes, but sin, that's too harsh. We're all blind and cannot make ourselves see. But there's good news. The good news comes when you hear that you are a sinner, but instead of giving you wrath, God gave you his son that you might have life. When that happens, you are confronted not only with your blindness, but you're also comforted by the cure. Because Jesus is passing by. Jesus is, is passing by blind Bartimaeus, and he recognizes him and calls out. Jesus is passing by you this morning, friend. He, he's, he's saying that you actually have a need. You have a problem. It's sin. And it's God's wrath is coming on that sin. But Jesus is passing by like the beggar, we only have one hope, right? He couldn't make himself see. He, he couldn't make his blind eyes see again. And Jesus is about to pass by him. The first step of the model disciple is to recognize your true need. Do you recognize it? The second step of a model disciple is to recognize Jesus as your only hope. Verse 47 you heard it in the reading that blind Martimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he cries out, Jesus, son of David. He's basically saying, King Jesus, have mercy on me. He, he recognizes Jesus as Peter saw him, as Messiah, the anointed one of God, the king of his people. If he's God's anointed one, if he's the one that can heal the, the eyes of the blind, he's the one Isaiah talked about, the prophets talked about, surely he can help me. 
And so he cries out, the model disciple cries out, Jesus, you're my only hope. He cries out and makes this claim about him, that he's the son of David, the rightful king of God's people. Now, we, we don't know exactly how much Bartimaeus, blind Bart, knew about what he said. Did he know all the implications of that? Probably not, just like Peter didn't know all the implications of saying that Jesus was the Messiah, right? Because right after that, he, he rebukes Jesus and said, not so, Lord, this will never happen to you. And yet, he said, even if he says more than he knows, he says the truth. He's the rightful king. Jesus could heal him. He, he, so he had heard about Jesus. He had heard about what Jesus had done. He had heard and believed that he could do the same for him. And he hoped, he hoped beyond hope that he would do it. Isn't this what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Blind Bart heard about Jesus. He hoped Jesus could do this for him, that he could save him from his blindness, save him from this beggar's life. And he calls Jesus of Nazareth the son of David. Nazareth was a despised place, but here, here comes this one, Jesus, who is opening the eyes of the blind, giving food to the hungry, healing the lame and the lepers, and bringing people back to life. And he says, this, this man could do something for me. He's my only hope. So though he may have not have known everything that he, that statement meant, this statement was a political statement. Do you know that when you confess Jesus as Lord and King, you're making a political statement? In the first century, it was, uh, to say Jesus as King was seditious. Nero is the ruler. Nero's King. And Christians are saying, no, Jesus alone is King. We, we will submit to the rulers in, in every way except this. Jesus is king of our lives, and if you tell us to do anything opposite of what Jesus has told us to do, we cannot follow you. It's a political statement. Jesus is the king. It has nothing to do with political parties of our day. It has nothing to do with it. It's way, it transcends way above that. We have a higher king. His name is Jesus. He's the only true king and savior of his people. And that merciful king is passing by the blind man. And the blind man sees him as his only hope. Friends, you know he could have let him pass by? Bartimaeus uh, could have said this. He could have made an excuse. If Jesus is really king, if he's really God, the Messiah, the anointed one, he would know my needs and he would know what I want. He should be the one stopping for me and healing me. I shouldn't have to cry out to him. But he doesn't. He doesn't let him pass by. He cries out with desperation. He wails for Jesus to please have mercy. This is a step of a model disciple, true discipleship. You're my only hope, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Jesus recognizes. Uh, Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as his only hope. And third, he asks persistently. Did you notice in verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I said it in the reading. They were telling him, shut up. Stop it. All the kids in the room, I'm sorry, don't say that when you go home. I discipline my own kids for saying that. But they were telling this blind man, don't, don't do this. You're, you're bothering Jesus. In fact, Jesus told us to keep silent about him being Messiah, so stop. But he doesn't let that dissuade him. Do you notice? I love this. He cries out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He asks persistently. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop. Even though obstacles are in his way, he's desperate for healing. And Jesus is his last and only hope. 
So disciple. I don't know what you are about to give up on asking Jesus. Don't. Don't stop asking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Be like that persistent woman who's before the judge who will not let him go until he gives justice. Don't stop asking until you get mercy. Blind Bartimaeus does it, and in so doing, he becomes the model disciple for us. He recognizes his need. He recognizes Jesus as the only hope. He asks persistently, and then he abandons all. In verse 50, he listens when he's called. And you notice the text, it tells us he flings aside the cloak. This was a picture of abandoning his former life. The cloak was not merely for, for warmth. The climate was actually pretty warm, and you you would irregularly would you need uh, you wouldn't normally need a, a, a cloak over you. The cloak is to to spread out on the ground, to sit down on, and for people to throw their money on the cloak. At the end of the day, you gather up the cloak and all the money inside of it, and you go on your way. He flings the cloak aside, money and all. He abandons everything, his former life, and he, he follows Jesus, or he, he comes when he's called. There's a sign of a helpless beggar, this cloak. You know, it's, it's like that sign you, you see out in, in front of Trader Joe's or, or, or wherever someone is begging. It, it, I will work for food, or, or anything will help. God bless. It was that kind of thing. And he's abandoning it. He's, he's leaving his sign. He's, he, he, has found, he has found worth because he's found Jesus. He's found hope because he's found Jesus. He abandons it all. You notice it takes our minds back to the rich young ruler. This is easy for the beggar, right? Leaving a life of begging, no problem. It's harder for rich people, right? But the call's the same. The call's the exact same. Leave everything behind and follow me. I met a man today, this week, sorry. I met a man this week who was traveling through Corvallis and uh, called the church. We got to talking. He told me, he told me his conversion testimony. He said, uh, you know, I was, I was living a gay lifestyle my whole life. Uh, last year, uh, I had contracted AIDS, but la last year, I bumped into a guy at Starbucks who had also contracted AIDS through a blood transfusion. And this man told me about Jesus. He told me there was a God, that Jesus loved me, he died for my sins, and he rose again. And I went back home and I thought about that and Jesus met with me, and he opened my eyes, and I realized I was no longer gay, but I was a follower of Jesus. This man uh, grew up in a Jewish family. His family has disowned him. The gay community would have taken him back. They just said, just renounce Jesus. We, we will take you back, no problem. He said, I can't do it. I can't renounce him. He's my only hope. I'm about to die. I'm going to go into hospice. I will probably die this year, and I'm going to meet my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's my only hope. It reminds us that, you know, when, when Jesus enters us, when he brings us into the kingdom, we get, we get more than what we gave up. I asked this man, how, how do you feel about, uh, you know, giving all of this up and, and being abandoned? Uh, how do you feel about Jesus' words that you will receive more in this life? He said, I, I know it's true. I know it's true. I, I need Christian brothers and sisters around me to, to make sure I remember that it's true, but I know it's true, and in the end, I will get everything I've ever wanted in Jesus. Like blind Bartimaeus, he abandoned it all. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To know you have nothing to offer. Just like the little child that Josh preached about a few weeks ago. You have nothing to offer the kingdom, nothing to contribute it, to it. But when you get Jesus, you get it all. When he embraces you in his arms, you get it all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You recognize your need. You recognize Jesus as your only hope. You ask persistently, and you abandon all. Fifth, you request boldly. Verse 51. He makes a bold request. He has lost his sight. He wasn't born blind. He lost it. There's lots of eye disease uh, in this part of, of the Middle East. It had something to do with bacteria in the air and getting in eyes and, and not having antibiotics to clear it out. But notice what he asks. We are, we are meant to remember James and John's request, even by Jesus' question of him. What do you want me to do for you? Same question to James and John back in the last section. Do you remember what they asked for? Power and position. James and John want to be on the right and left hand of Jesus when he comes in his glory. This man simply wants to recover his sight so he can follow Jesus. Mark shows us what a real disciple acts like. He's an example to disciples of what to ask for. Open my eyes. Please open my eyes to you that I, I may see you and follow you. Open, Paul tells us this is what we should pray for. He tells the Ephesians that he's praying this for them, that God would open the eyes of their understanding that they might comprehend the love of Christ, how, how big and wide and deep and, 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 and tall it is for you. Open my eyes, my, I might receive my sight and see you. This is what a model disciple does. He requests boldly, and lastly, he follows Jesus on the way. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, he recovers his sight, and he followed him on the way. Jesus says, go your way. He's not going. His way now is Jesus' way. On the road to Jerusalem to the Passion Week. He's following the other disciples and the crowd for Passover, and, and, and he is going to be with Jesus from there forward. Follow is a discipleship word, right? He joins the crowd, he follows Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. Recognize your need, recognize Jesus as your only hope, ask persistently, abandon all Request boldly and follow Jesus. This is what a model disciple does. Now let's go back and we want to look at what the merciful Savior Jesus does. The model discipler does. And then we're going to have some implications coming out of this. In verse 49, Jesus stops. Jesus stops and calls the man. Friends, these are some of the sweetest words in all of scripture. As, as we're talking about a model discipler, Jesus is the model, but as a merciful Savior, these are the sweetest words in all of Scripture. Jesus stopped. With all that was on Jesus' mind, heading towards Jerusalem, with a crowd all around him, all that was to go before him in just a few days, would anyone blame him if he didn't stop? It was just a blind beggar, after all. Beggars are a dime a dozen in the Middle East. But he hears blind Bartimaeus' call, and he recognizes a title. He, he no longer wants to keep the, the messianic secret. He, it's out now. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The king of the Jews and the king of the universe is stopping because he is the son of David. He, he's the suffering king who in one week will give his life as a ransom for many. He stops. And hasn't he done that for you? When you had no hope, when you were without God in this world, Jesus stopped. Someone told you about him, and he opened your eyes. Jesus not only stops, he calls Bartimaeus. Jesus 
calls in verse 49. And three times, Mark uses the same word three times in this verse, the word call. I, I think it's maybe the climax of the narrative arc here. Mark wants to emphasize this point in discipleship. It is Jesus' call of this man that Mark wants to emphasize. Jesus is answering the man's request in his call. He thinks he just wants his sight restored. What he wants is what will behold him when his eyes are opened. That is Jesus. Disciples tell this man, take heart, because the master is calling you. Take heart, the master is, is calling you. So get up, cast aside everything and follow me. Reminds us of these words in John, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus stops, Jesus calls. And then Jesus asks a question. Je Jesus stops in, in, in verse uh, 51. He says, I already told you before, he, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He asks the same question as he asked James and John. And this, this man gives the right answer, but as he stops and asks questions, he is, he's humanizing this man. He could have just healed him without saying a word, but he draws him out. He's asking him, what do you want me to do for you? The salvation becomes interactive. It becomes a relationship, doesn't it? Jesus is interested in a personal relationship with this man like he is with you. What do you want? Jesus stops, Jesus calls, Jesus asks, and then Jesus heals. He tells him, your faith has made you well. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. This man, like other, like other uh, men and women in the, in the book of Mark who have been healed, have done so because they believe Jesus could do it. And they become a model for us on what it means to believe Jesus. It is, it is a a faith different than a faith that is talked about today, right? Faith that's talked about today is like a, a faith in faith. It's like a, a faith in some vague spirituality. It's a faith in ourself. But faith in Jesus, faith that Jesus is talking about is a faith that's expressed on a, an object outside of ourself. On, on Jesus. You believe and trust. You put all of your trust in Jesus, that he can do whatever it is you're asking for. This man was asking for sight, which became a picture of, of, of salvation. Opening the eyes of the blind was a picture for becoming a Christian. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. This word well, made you well, is sozo. It's the word for saved. Your faith has saved you. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, the, the physical and spiritual were, were not as dichotomous as they are for us. Um, you know, they were so intertwined. So do we know if this man's heart was changed? It looks like it because he becomes a model disciple for us. But it, this, this faith had, his faith had saved him. It had healed him. It had, had made him so he could receive his sight. And Jesus says, go your way. And his way now has become Jesus' way. So that's, this is a model of discipleship for us, Branch Church. The model disciple recognizes his need, recognizes Jesus. He, he asks persistently, he abandons all, he, he asks boldly, and he follows Jesus. And I think Jesus' model for us has some implications. And I'm going to end this. This will be our concluding time. I'll, a few minutes on the implications of the, this model of discipleship for us and our church. What, what are the implications of this model of discipleship? Friends, it's our joyful responsibility to be involved in each other's discipleship. When you become a, a member at a church or our church, you are basically taking covenant vows that you are going to enter into a relationship for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Now, we don't say till death to us part because you can leave this church and it'll be okay. 
uh, we, we don't want you to leave, but it, 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 it matters how you stay and how you leave because you're in a covenant relationship. So it's a joyful responsibility to be involved in each other's discipleship, this, to helping each other follow Jesus, right? So we have to ask the question, how are we helping each other follow Jesus? How are we, helping each, how, how are we involved in discipling one another? Well, notice Jesus' example again, if you took notes. Jesus stopped, Jesus called, Jesus asked, and Jesus healed. Just as a reminder, we, Jesus does things that we cannot do, right? He can call in a theological way in ways we cannot. He elects people before the foundation of the world. He calls irresistibly people to himself through his spirit. We can't do that. Also, we cannot heal people like Jesus did. I'm not saying people don't get healed today. I'm saying they don't get, we do not do the healing like Jesus did. What can we do though? As disciples of Jesus, as following his model of discipleship, what can we do? We can stop, right? Let's just take the church, for instance. We're, we're not talking about outside, although this applies to outside and evangelism as well. We can stop, slow down, and get to know people. Let's slow our lives down and get to know people. Right, maybe it's in, in this, uh, you know, in our, in our gathering setting. Maybe it's hard at the Majestic. It's gonna be a lot easier at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There, there's lots of room to spread out and hang around and get to know each other. I, I would just encourage you, come early before church. Don't be late, be 15 minutes early. And stay afterwards and talk to people. Yes, in a socially distanced manner and keep your mask on, all of that, you know, but get to know people. Slow down. If, if you find yourself, just do a mental inventory. If you find yourself hurrying out of church more often than you stay, something's wrong. Now, it may be that you have work or you have some other things, but there's probably something you can cut out of your life where you can slow down and get to know people. You can stop. Friends, it's okay if you don't know someone's name in this assembly. It's okay to ask, even if you should know it. I've been coming here for five years. That's okay. Stop and ask. Say, I I'm sorry. Uh, I don't remember your name. My name is Doug. What's your name? You, you can just, just slow down, stop, and do these things. We, we can make room for people in our lives. Friends, if you want a discipleship relationship, if you, you want to slow down and, and go slow through the word, there are people in this room who would love to do that with you. Ask me, ask Davey. We can either do it or connect you with someone who wants to. We can stop. The second thing is we can call. I don't mean a phone call. Friends, there's a physical component to discipleship. There's physical proximity component to discipleship that cannot be replaced with technology. I love you, but this is going to be probably hard to hear for some of us. We need to be in a relationship with other people in proximity, in the, in the presence of other people. I'm prim not primarily talking to the people here. I'm talking to the people at home, online. And if you have been online for a length of time, you already know how that is affecting you spiritually and personally. Isolation does damage to us. This is, this is why uh, isolation in the prison ward is one of the worst sentences, maybe even worse than death. Isolation can make you go mad. So we, we need this. We need to call people into this relationship, which takes physical proximity, but it also takes a boldness to just call people into it, right? Most people are intimidated at this point. What am I calling someone into? I wouldn't know what to do. What, what should I take them through? Friends, the elders and other Christians in this church would love to help you think through that. 
I just, I just want to remind you of some things we're doing at the branch. Maybe consider a little more of our, of our formal programs here. The Sunday morning gathering. You guys all know that that's happening here. If you find yourself in a place where you're constantly neglecting the, the gathering together, you, you need to consider the words of Hebrews 10.25. Do not neglect the assembly. In so doing, you, you bring harm on yourself and others. Jesus is calling you to, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So friends online, I just encourage you, uh, there may have been some forced neglect based on a pandemic. I think we're coming out of that a little bit now. And I just wanna call you friends to gather together with God's people. There's a time to, to, to take a risk and to be with God's people. I, everyone here has a mask on. We're all socially distanced. We, uh, we have limits to our gathering. Uh, and, and yet, sometimes it, it, we just have to get out of our comfort zone and obey Jesus' words to gather together. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to, to think more of Jesus than you do of comfort or of ease, or of even the coronavirus. Sunday morning gatherings. We also have something called Women's Discipleship Huddle, uh, where, where they are getting together to read through scripture, to ask each other good questions about life. What is God teaching you? What is God doing? And, and then and applying God's word as well, and to have some accountability. If, if you're interested in that, you can talk to Bridget or Kayleen, they can get you set up in, in whatever's coming next. There's, some, there's a meeting in March, and, and uh, we just want to encourage you to, to consider how, ladies, how you can be involved in discipleship. Men's ministry, it's a little more organic than that. We, maybe we need to get better at some, some you know, dates together. Some, not dates together, guys don't date together. Uh, we need to get better at maybe putting some dates on the calendar and getting together, but it is more informal, but it is happening. I just want you to know that, okay? Josh Armitano is taking guys through Simeon and Trust. Davey and I are, are doing discipleship in, in lots of different ways. We both have book clubs, but we're, we're meeting people constantly for lunch and coffee, and we're just asking them some simple questions like, how is your soul, and who are you meeting with? This is language I would love to happen at the branch. What, how are we involved in each other's discipleship? Community groups, they're a place where we try to foster community through openness and through the study of like biblical and theological topics, right? So if you're part of a community group, praise the Lord for that. If you're not, you're welcome to join one. Uh, we have table talks where we're just trying to get to know each other and apply God's word and, and also to tell each other our stories of how we became Christians. And, and then we're on other weeks, we're doing biblical and theological topics and, and, and we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to boost up our theological knowledge. We also have a, a youth group that's reading through the Bible, it's doing it online mostly right now and, and studying the catechisms and, and just having fun. Our, our kiddos are not, have not been able to get into the gathering, but we hope really soon that they will. Those are just some formal ways. We don't have a lot of programs at this church. And what that can do is we can fill that void when we don't have programs with a couple things. Either busyness of life or laziness. Either we're replacing what we do at church with busyness of life or laziness. And I just want you to ask yourself, which one am I doing? Maybe there's another answer to that, but most likely it's one of those. We're not gonna put a ton of more programs in. We want this to be, a, our, our discipleship to be an organic thing. So just, just a few things in terms of what you can do in an informal way. Read the Bible with someone one-to-one. -one. I have materials if you, if you want. Read a Christian book with somebody. Maybe start with Compelling Community by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. Maybe there's a new Christian and you wanna know, how, how do I disciple a new Christian? There's a, a little pamphlet called What Do I Do Now That I'm a Christian by Sam Amati. And, and here's the table of contents. What should a new Christian do? Get baptized, join a local church, attend church regularly, study the Bible, pray regularly, 
be discipled and disciple others. Give to the church and evangelize the lost. You could do that in a couple meetings. Just go through that and, and, and disciple a new Christian. There are lots of other ways to be discipling people. The NAVs have lots of good material, gospel for real life, dis disciplines of grace. Just get together with somebody and ask them how they're doing. Ask them good questions. I, I would love for that to be a phrase we use all the time. Who are you meeting up with? Who are you meeting up with? And how's that going? What are you guys doing? If you're not meeting up with somebody, it may be you are not participating in God's mission. If you're not in a discipleship relationship, you're not participating in God's mission. So you can stop, you can call, you can ask. Just like, just like Jesus asked good questions, when you get together, ask questions. They humanize people, right? We're not seeing people as a project. I don't get together with other brothers in this church because they're my project. I get together with them because uh, they are humans and they're followers of Jesus and we help each other in our discipleship. So ask questions because you really want to know them. Because you, you want to know what they desire. And you want to know how you can pray and love them. I just give you an example. I know I'm going longer, but we're almost done, okay? Um, when someone asks you a question, like how was your week, answer them honestly and openly and helpfully, and then ask them, how are they doing? I, I know that's simple, but I've had lots of conversations where it's pretty one-sided. I'm asking lots of questions, and people aren't asking me lots of questions, which is fine. But it would be a better conversation if it was back and forth. When someone asks you, what is God teaching you in, in the Word, in, the, in your Bible reading? Answer them honestly. I'm not reading my Bible. Do you have a Bible reading plan that I could use? And then ask them, what is God teaching you? You might be very encouraged. Ask people questions, even if you think you know the answer. Ask people questions about their discipleship that will stir them up to love and good works. And lastly, tell. Jesus healed. We're probably not going to heal, but we can tell. We may not be able to heal, but we can tell them about the one who has, can heal and will heal. We can use the healing solve of the gospel on spiritual wounds. And we can tell people about this one, applying the gospel to every area of life. We're, we're making disciples of all nations who are in awe of the gospel, embody the gospel, and give their lives away for the gospel. We're trying to become gospel fluent. So gospel is our, not our second language, but our first language. It's how we think. You want to be in a discipleship relationship? You have to be first a disciple. Recognize your need. Recognize Jesus as your only hope. Ask persistently. Abandon all. Request boldly. Follow Jesus. And follow the master. Stop, call, ask, and tell. Branch family, we are being called to the greatest mission of all time. This is the greatest mission statement ever invented. You're not being called to inspire people to get outdoors or to create without barriers. We are called to become what we are created for, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, now apply this word to our hearts and make yourself known to us. In Jesus' name, amen.